0: All right, turn with me, if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible app on it, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We are going to start a new little series tonight called Faithful Sayings. Looking forward to that. Excited about it. We'll be in the middle of 1 Timothy chapter 1 towards the end. This week, Billy Graham's will was released to the public. I couldn't figure out if it was released by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association or leaked. So many things get leaked these days. While most of it, you can read it, it's 16 pages long. While most of it is just boilerplate legalese, it does contain, of course, one final plea for the gospel. Here are a few small portions of what Mr. Graham wrote. He said, I urge all who shall read this document, so apparently he knew it was going to go out, I urge all who shall read this document to read and study the Scriptures daily and to trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. When you read this, I will be safely with Jesus in paradise. Time on earth is short. I ask my children and grandchildren to maintain and defend at all hazards and at any cost of personal sacrifice the blessed doctrine of complete atonement for sin through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, once offered and through that alone. I urge you to talk with the Lord in a life of separation from the world and to keep eternal values in view. And those are just a few of the fine closing thoughts from the Reverend Billy Graham that he shares there on the first page of his last will and testament. The Apostle Paul... As, it came, as his life came to a close, he wrote three final letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. We call them the pastoral epistles because they were written to two younger pastors. They contain a great deal of teaching on the subject, and they're sort of directed uh, in that way, but that doesn't mean that if you're not a vocational pastor, you don't need to read those. There's great treasure there, of course, for all of God's people. But these letters were composed by Paul after many long years in the ministry, having learned and experienced an absolutely mind-boggling amount in his service to the Lord. These letters were written about 15 years after Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, five to ten years after his letters to Corinth. And though the final phase of Paul's life isn't meticulously documented for us, there's a few question marks. We're not exactly sure how that timeline went. It's clear, at least in 2 Timothy for sure, that he knew the end had come. It was over. He was being poured out. And so in one sense, these letters become a sort of last will and testament written to his beloved sons in the faith. Um, As one pastor put it, the sons he never had. As he wrote to Timothy and Titus, five times he used a very distinctive phrase that only he uses in the New Testament. It's this phrase, this is a faithful saying. It's unique to Paul. Of course, you know, it reminds us of what John records Jesus saying so often in his gospel. Twenty-five times, Jesus says, your translation may say, most assuredly I say to you, or perhaps your translation puts it, verily, verily, I say to you. Again and again, John records Jesus as saying this, and it's very reminiscent when we read what Paul says here, a faithful saying. Now, of course, when we come across Jesus saying that or Paul saying this is a faithful saying, it doesn't mean that the other things he has written are insignificant or less trustworthy. But at these points, we need to understand that an extra effort is being made by the speaker. Five times in these three little letters, Paul takes the time to stop and say this, listen here, read my lips. As readers, when we come to these passages, we are to stop and turn up the volume. I don't know about you, but I, you, do you ever watch a show? I, if, I, if I miss dialogue and I'm at home and I have control, you know, like if we, if we can rewind, if I miss dialogue, I'm like, stop, rewind. I didn't hear it again. Stop, rewind. Try it again. All right, put the subtitles on. Like I want to hear the dialogue, right? Well, here Paul in the inspired scripture is actually giving us this, uh, this sort of, admonition or do you remember back when 3d was kind of a new thing and they weren't making movies that were all in 3d there would be just a little segment and do you remember there would be a thing that would pop up at the bottom and say put on your 3d goggles (laughs) and you put them on for like that one scene where they throw the rock and it comes out at you well, so here we come to something like this, this is a faithful saying, or in the Gospel of John, when Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you, and effectively, what we're being told is, stop and turn up the volume, something crucial is going to be said that we cannot afford to miss as readers of Scripture. When you list out all of five's, uh, all five of Paul's faithful sayings, you discover they have a pretty wide scope, a pretty wide variety, they speak of both the life and the afterlife, They speak of physical exercise and spiritual calling. They contain joyful encouragement and severe warning. But all five passages are categorized by Paul and by the Holy Spirit as faithful sayings. And that means that they are trustworthy. That's the word being used. They're more than just good. They're more than just quality. Uh, You can hang your hat on these sayings. Even more than that, they're like a well-made carabiner that we can rest the weight of our lives upon these secure words as we climb every mountain. If you're a rock climber, more power to you. I'm impressed by the fact that you can climb rocks. I, I had a roommate in college, and for like two weeks, he was really into fitness, and, for, and I would try to exercise with him, and for like two weeks... We were up at Fresno Pacific, and he said, hey, we, I, got, I, you know, I got some passes to the Fresno rock climbing place. There, there's a place in Fresno where there was 10 years ago where you could go, and it was just all these different rock walls that you could climb. Man, it's the worst exercise ever. It was so hard to just climb around and, and exert that kind of force. But if you're a rock climber and you're out there on Half Dome or you're out there on a real mountain, you need certain equipment to stay alive and you need those carabiners, right? I used to always just have one carrying my keys. But in reality, a carabiner is used to carry you, that you rest your weight upon it, and that thing needs to be made properly, right? Otherwise, you're gonna have a real, real, real bad day. And so when Paul says that these are faithful sayings, it means that that we can rest the weight of our lives on these trustworthy, secure words. A couple of times, Paul will also give an additional description to this uh, list of sayings, he will call them worthy of all acceptance. He'll do so tonight in our text. And what he means there is that these sayings in whole are rock solid for our lives. We don't need to dissect them. We don't need to parse. We don't need to say, well, this part's great. This part, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. No, the whole thing, it's worthy of all acceptance, the whole saying. And it also has the connotation that they're worthy of all acceptance for all people at all places in all times. These are precious truths that we can not only lean on, but we can appreciate as children of God, special statements that have been given to us for our benefit. And so we have five final key statements from Paul, given as parting instructions to his beloved true sons in the faith. So what exactly is on the list? Well, we'll see the first faithful saying tonight, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. And there Paul says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, this is almost surprising in its simplicity, especially when you consider that Timothy is no greenhorn, right? Uh, He's not in his first semester of theology. He's not, you know, fresh into this whole ministry thing. He's a seasoned pastor, a serious missionary that's seen some stuff. He lived and served alongside the great apostle. You know, not very many people could hang with the apostle Paul, but Timothy absolutely could. Timothy had started assisting Paul, in fact, well over a decade before he read these words from Paul. And what does Paul say? Yet this is the first and foremost of Paul's faithful sayings. Hey, Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, even though that's simple, that's where Paul begins. And this is something that the Lord, through the inspired Word of God wants us to begin. There are so many reasons to start here when it comes to the faithful sayings. First of all, this is the single greatest truth of all of human history. Without these nine words, no other efforts, no other discoveries, no other expressions of human ability have any significance whatsoever. What would it matter for mankind to write all the peace treaties of all the world or travel between galaxies or cure cancer if Christ did not come to save. None of that matters. Nothing anybody does, nothing the heap of all of humanity could ever do has any significance if Christ Jesus did not come to save us from our sin. No, this here, this statement is the most significant, the most faithful saying of all, that he did come and he came to save sinners. Now, a second great reason for this to be the first faithful saying is that this simple phrase actually contains a great deal of doctrine. The words Christ Jesus, well, they identify who the Messiah is. The Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man. The fact that he came into the world reminds us that he is not of creation. He exists outside of it. The fact that he came for sinners indicates the problem of man and the provision of God. It indicates that Christ is sinless, that he's perfect, that he is also able to bridge the gap between God and man, that he has compassion for an undeserving human race. Tons of doctrine just packed into just a few little words. But a third great reason for Paul to start his list of five faithful sayings here is that this is the fundamental bedrock basis that the Christian faith must be built upon. True for Paul, true for Timothy, true for you and me. This is where we start building our Christian life and our Christian faith. This is what Christianity is all about, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh, and by the way, you and I are sinners. This is the truth that we cannot leave behind any more than you could leave behind the ABCs and hope to make a, uh, a message in the English language, right? Uh, you can't do it. If you wanted to communicate a message to someone using the English language, you can't leave the ABCs behind. You can't say, well, we don't need the ABCs. I'll get my message out a different way. How are you going to form words? How are you going to form sentences? Now, we try to do this in this modern age, don't we? Emojis, they're right down there. Apple just, or they just updated the new emojis. I saw they have like a zombie on there now. Uh, (laughs) But we try sometimes, we try to sort of leave the ABCs behind, the building blocks of communication. It doesn't quite work though, does it? Uh, What does it really mean? If you get a text message with the yellow face that has eyes but no mouth, I don't know what that means. You see that one on there? Some of these smiley faces, I'm like, what does that mean? Eyes with no mouth, I don't know what you're trying to communicate to me if you send that to me. I'm just putting that out there. Or this was one of my favorites. I was like scrolling through the emoji today, taking a look at these. What is the difference between the frowny face with a tear and the frowny face with a tear, but the top half of his head is shaded blue? What does that mean? I don't understand. Maybe someone, maybe the younger people can explain emoji to me a little better because I don't know what that means. If you send them to me, I don't know what that means. I'll let you in on a personal secret of mine. Sometimes if I see that you're composing text messages to people and you happen to leave your phone, this happens to my poor, sainted wife all the time. She'll be talking to someone, talking to her sister or something like that. She'll get up to go get a glass of water. Oh, it's emoji time. And I just start sending weird emojis <laughs> to people random flags and things that make no sense like pizza like and uh, I think that's fun I don't know about anybody else so in reality if you want to communicate effectively though we all know that if you want to communicate clearly and with detail you have to use the building blocks of language that you learned back before kindergarten it's like the first song we all start learning ABCs And Paul says that this fundamental, simple truth is worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Don't forget it. Don't pass it by. Don't consider it as obsolete. Don't think it's passé. This is it. This is the reality of the Christian life. From here, everything else builds up. From here, everything else gains its significance. Now, some of the people around Timothy were leaving this statement behind, this truth behind. They were leaving the key truths of Christianity by the side of the road. And Paul explained earlier in chapter 1, in like verses 3 and 7, your eyes can scan there for a moment, that these folks needed in some cases to be corrected, in other cases to be avoided. But for Timothy, Paul was explaining that this is the basis and the bearing for the Christian life because Christ came to the world to save. And now we go throughout the world continuing that work from that position and in that direction. Now, what kind of sinners did the Lord come to save? Well, Paul uses himself as the very best example. Earlier in the chapter, he already recounted some of who he was and what he had done as an unbelieving sinner. But now in verse 15, he just summarizes all of that, all of who he was before, and he just says, you know what, I am the chief of sinners. And by that, he means he was the worst of all. He was the captain of the sin team. Was he just being self-deprecating? Was this a case of over-humility? Well, he would say no. Uh, and I think you could probably make a pretty good case that he was the greatest sinner of his entire generation. He, he would say to us, no, 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 I, I really am the chief of sinners. I mean, he hated Jesus Christ. He hated him. And he hated even more anybody who wanted to follow after him. Anyone who wanted to bear the name of Jesus and walk the way of Jesus, oh, Paul hated them when he was Saul of Tarsus. He savagely persecuted the poor fledgling church. And he indicates in the language of 1 Timothy that he even took a sort of sadistic pleasure in the violence he was perpetrating. Paul was a weird guy before he was saved. A sick man a religious zealot Paul was a terrorist from the way we would define him today if, if a person was doing the kinds of things that Paul was doing to Christians in the Middle East well we call that terrorism we call that murder we call that ISIS except for that Paul was uh, able to do it with impunity for a certain amount of time had his official letters yeah the government of, the, of Israel says I'm good to do whatever I want to do to you guys and I'm going to take pleasure in brutalizing you that's who Paul was But using himself as an example, he shows here how powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ is. A man like Paul, like Saul of Tarsus, is not only loved by God, but that man is savable. The very worst of sinners can be saved. In a moment, right? The the Damascus Road conversion. Even there, the Lord didn't quit, of course. Paul wasn't just saved, he was then transformed. He had been a murderer, a terrorist, a blasphemer, full of vicious arrogance, But through God's redemption, he became a planter of churches, a writer of Scripture, a victorious martyr for Jesus Christ. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, the greatest example of sin has become the greatest example of Christianity the world has known for the last 2,000 years. no greater example of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be a Christian, than Paul the Apostle. And none of it had to do with what Paul accomplished. Right? It's not that Paul was just convinced and then turned his, you know, efforts and his energy to good things. Uh, He would never say that. He'd say, no, 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 Christ saved me and he transformed me. Notice his careful wording in our verse. He doesn't say, he came to save sinners of whom I was chief. He says, he came to save sinners of who I am chief. You know what they say, once a Marine, always a Marine. Well, Paul would say, once a sinner, always a sinner just depends on if you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ or not. Paul recognized, hey, I'm still a sinner. Remember, this is written at the very tail end of his life. He recognized that he was still unworthy, still a sinner, but he accepted. Remember, worthy of all acceptance. He accepted that he had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and therefore God was able to transform his life, change him through and through. He talks a little bit more about it in verse 16. He says, however, for this reason I obtained mercy... That in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And so here he says that just as Paul had been first among sinners, he now says that he's first among those saved. Now, what does he mean by this? Of course, he doesn't mean that no one else had been born again before he was. It's obviously not true. Uh, Rather, He says here that he is the model prototype of what it means for God's grace to save and transform a person, even the worst person in all the world. What a comforting thought that the very worst, most vile, evil, hate-filled person in all the world right now, whoever that is, they could be saved today. They could become a missionary tomorrow. They could be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. It doesn't take you know, gamma rays or infinity stones or anything like that. It just takes the gospel of Jesus Christ. All it takes is an encounter with the Lord where a person realizes, oh, I'm in a sinner. I'm in need of salvation. This God will grant me salvation by his love and his mercy. And the very worst, most wicked person, whoever that is on the world today, could become like the Apostle Paul tomorrow. What a great thing. And Paul says, yeah, this is the example. I'm the example of what God wants to do. I'm the pattern. I'm the model prototype of what, God, what God's grace is doing. Christ, who came to save sinners, was going to prove that truth and put it on display through Paul, who would become a living, breathing example of God's love and his mercy and his long suffering. Now, today, Paul has gone to heaven, long gone, Right to receive his reward, ran his race well, finished well. So who are the Pauls now? Well, we know that's you and me. If you're a Christian here tonight, you're Paul. I'm Paul. Maybe we don't have the same scope of calling that Paul had. Maybe the Lord's not going to use us to plant churches or to go throughout you know, the empire, you know, being a foremost leader in the church. But the work is the same what god wants to do through us is the same he wants to transform us and put us on display like he did for paul paul said i'm the prototype of what god is going to do for each and every person who believes in fact he said in 1 corinthians 11 verse 1 outright imitate me just as i also imitate christ and so he has made the model example for us that we are to follow after Now, remember the backdrop of his statements in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. He's telling Timothy and us, by extension, that this is a saying and a principle we are to anchor onto and build our lives from. Christ came into the world to save sinners. It was a personal work, a costly work, but it's the most important work ever done. And Paul's example shows us that not only can any person be saved, praise the Lord, But that salvation is not just something that happens to us the moment after we take our last breath. If you're a Christian, you're you're experiencing everlasting life now, according to the New Testament. The Lord gives it to you at the moment of conversion, not at the moment of death. Salvation doesn't just happen when you take that last breath and step into eternity. You're in that salvation right now. It's for every day of our lives as we are put on display by God so that others might be redeemed as well. That's the point. God says, I want to save all kinds of people, all kinds of people, all kinds of people, the worst people, the people that hate me the most, people like Saul of Tarsus. I want to save those people. How are we going to do it? I'm going to put my believers, I'm going to put Christians on display to show that I am true and I am powerful and that I can transform any life. That's what the Lord wants to do. Christ came to show us mercy and to show mercy in us to demonstrate that anyone can be saved and everyone who is sh- saved should be used by God to continue his work until the Lord returns to bring us home. Most of you have probably never heard the name Lindsay Snyder. Anybody know who Lindsay Snyder is? Just raise your hand. No? All right. <laughs> in 2017 she became the youngest billionaire in the nation. Not just because of any contest she won, she didn't invent anything, uh, she didn't have any great ideas. There were just two simple reasons that she has become the youngest billionaire in the country. Someone died and gave her an incredible inheritance, and she accepted that inheritance. In 2010, she became the owner and president of In-N-Out Burger. Uh, she was born in 1982, so she's, she's a youngster. Now, because of the work of her father and her grandfather and many other men and women in her family, she is part, suddenly, of a wonderful enterprise that day in and day out proclaims the gospel through their packaging. Most of you, I'm sure, know this, but perhaps you've never noticed. in and out milkshakes each have Proverbs 3.5 referenced on the bottom of the cup. The soda cups bear John 3.16. The water cups used by employees say John 14.6. The hamburger and cheeseburger wrappers reference Revelation 3.20, double-double paper lists Nahum 1.7. The French fry trays are labeled with Proverbs 24.16. Now, Lindsay Snyder is a born-again Christian, and she's very open about the ruin that she made of her life before she surrendered to Jesus. And she says that when she felt the most alone, the most worthless, the most like trash, that God was there at that moment to intervene and to save, and now she's been transformed and is a display of God's grace, the display of what God can do through a person who's willing to let him have his way. She was a substance abuser who went through three divorces, and she's now transformed into a woman who publicly proclaims the transformative power of the gospel. That's the real magic of her story. Not that she was not a billionaire the other, you know, a couple years ago, and now she is. The real story is the story of the ruin of her life that the Lord has brought beauty out of, the beauty that he's brought out of the ashes of her life because of the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can see some of her story by going to IamSecond.com. She has a I Am IamSecond video you can find. If you are a Christian here tonight, be confident in this faithful saying. Remember, it's given to you to hang your life on like a carabiner while you're climbing every mountain of life. God loves you personally. Remember what Jesus said when the apostle was converted on the Damascus road. What did he say to you? Hey, guy. No, Jesus came and he said, Saul, Saul. He knew him by name. He knew everything about him. He was chasing him down so that he could save him. The man who more than any other man on the planet deserved to just be scorched by a lightning bolt from heaven Jesus said, no, I know him. I love him. I know him by name. I'm going to call him by name. I'm going to give him an opportunity to turn from his evil and to be saved, not just saved, but transformed, not just transformed, but be the model prototype of what I can do in a person's life. That's the same love that God has for you. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came personally for you. He knows who you are. He's numbered the hairs on your head. He loves you. Think of the person you love most in life, that person who your heart is most attached to. Jesus loves you, not just like that, but to an infinite degree that we can't even understand. He loves you more than that, personally, passionately. And so be encouraged and confident in this faithful saying, God loves you personally. He called you by name. He loves you by name. God loves you the same the way that he loves Paul. You are a sinner saved by grace and are now filled by the Holy Spirit to be demonstrating the power of God to the world around you. As you live out that Christianity, build from this foundation that's revealed in Scripture. Continue the work that Christ began when he first came. He came to save. He's not done yet. We know that because we're still here. How does he continue the work now? By using us as living, breathing examples of everlasting life, who can then go and proclaim the truth of the gospel even past our last dying day. I love that story of Billy Graham's will that came out this week. He's still proclaiming the goodness and the power of Jesus Christ past his last dying day in his last will and testament, just like Paul has done, just like Billy Graham has done. Every spirit-filled Christian can have a testimony like that. Maybe it won't be as prominent, but it can be just as profound thanks to the glorious, redeeming work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a faithful saying. Now, if you're not a Christian here tonight, you need to become a Christian. Maybe you're not as bad as, the, uh, as Paul was, Saul of Tarsus. Maybe you've never killed anybody for being a Christian. Guess what? You're, you're going to end up in hell just like any other unbeliever. It doesn't matter if you're the nicest unbeliever or the worst unbeliever. You're apart from Jesus Christ, and you need to get saved. You need to be rescued by Jesus Christ. God wants to save you from your sin and from an eternity in hell. He gave himself as a ransom for you. Just like he knew Saul by name, he knows you by name, and he's calling out to you by his spirit and from his word hoping that you will turn and realize who you really are, a sinner, but realizing who He is, the Savior who loves you. And you can be born again. If you're not born again, you're not going to be saved. John 3.16. What do you have to do to be born again? All you must do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on His name. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Trust in Him to save you, and you will be saved. These are faithful sayings. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. You and I may still be sinners, but we're saved if we belong to Jesus. And now he wants to use us to show the world who he is and what he can do. Amen.